0: It's time to prepare the bride. It's time. Shalom and welcome to the Remnant Radio Hour, maybe two, here on Heart of the Tribes. And this is going to be episode four of High Places. So um, last week I kind of went through the last mm, 30 years or so, not quite. Um, and so anyway, I wanted to share, we left off last week with... Um, you know, preparing to prepare, basically talking about a vision that I would, um, what I was going to share this week with you. So we'll go through that anyway, hopefully, um, the sound and everything's working. Um, so there's lots and lots to cover and we're going to do our best to get through a bunch of it today. Okay. So, um, so also next week, uh, which is 9 21, I believe, um, there will be a replay. And I suggest if you get a chance go back and see episode three because that will help you get through here even if you want to start with episode one. Shalom Shell, thank you. Um, so that will kind of catch you up to to where we're going here and and why we're weaving this, you know in and out. So, so that being said, that I won't be back again until the following week, which is the last, uh, of the last Wednesday in September. There's gonna, there may be some things that happen between now and the time I get back, okay? So for those of you who may or may not know about Shemitahs, we are in the Shemitah year. The last one was, um, well, the one that everybody remembers is 2008. There wasn't a lot of scuttlebuttle about 2015. However, during that year, twice, there was what they call a flash crash in the market. And oh, thank you. And Shell says they're going to replay in the order of the episodes to date while well, I'm gone. I'll also be gone for three weeks for October because we are hosting a Sukkot here at the farm in North Idaho. So I got people flying in and driving in and coming out. And there's just lots to take care of while they're here. Okay, so I wanted to go into the Shemitah a little bit because by the time I get back uh, at the end of the month, I've, uh, I wanted to show you a few things. And uh, I also, if you go on to Heart of the Tribes or my Facebook, Needs Moshe, I'm on Facebook, um, you will see I gave a lot of links. In fact, I'll go ahead and try to turn on the banner here. And. Get it, get it going. So, um, I'm going to be referring back and forth to a lot of these things. So I try to share with you some links so that you can go do more of your own homework and and more of your research, and so you also know what I'm pulling from, what I'm doing. And so, I wanted to. um, We're going to be going into a story by Boris Sorovsky, if I said that correctly, Uh, and we're going to be talking about the Russian Revolution. In uh, well, really, the Russian revival that started in 1917, which, as I was rereading it, because I had read this like 20 years ago, I realized 1917 must be a Shemitah, and sure enough, it was. So, let me see if I can share here. Uh, we'll look at this because we are, we're in the, we're, we're towards the end, if I understand it correctly, of a Shemitah. And so everybody, if you're reading what's going on out there in the world, you know, they're expecting there to be some kind of crash um, because uh, Shemitah is a release. It's a release of debt. It's, it's a release for the stock market. And, and that can be good or bad depending on which side of all those things you are on. So let me see if I can um, share uh, the screen here. And we'll go over to this is interesting now you know when i share some of these websites i really don't know i I don't know sometimes i know the people sometimes i don't know the people right uh and this one is www.areyouready.co.za uh slash 2520 and so um this is what i came up with when i was googling to confirm that 1917 which is when the russian revolution started which I believe is a good parallel to where we are today in history, and the things that are coming and/or are here at the at the doorstep. Um, so this is where I went, and this is what came up. Excuse me. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was just um. Okay, so it says, "Are you ready?" And it looks like it pulled me out of the main page, but this one is. Um, I did post it, gosh, this is 25, 20, that goes into that, I really didn't want to go into that, I wanted to go into, let me Google it here, um, Russia, I also have it on the ticker, but I can't think, oh, I'm so sorry, this was up here, uh, and I don't think I can get here, anyway, let me see if I can pull it off the ticker. Mm So 1917 was the beginning of the Russian Revolution, and it didn't really seem um, that bad as far as persecution went for the people, Um, oh gosh, it went up there live and it's not loading my stuff, okay, hang on, Uh, here we go, Um, here we go, okay, here we go, now we're on the right page. Okay, the same site though. And and my point here, as we're going to go into, as we continue on with this, is that the persecution has been increasing in this country and probably around the world, for sure, because evil is getting more evil. And, you know, but when it gets darker, then the light shines forth more, right? So let's go here. So let's go. This um, This was very interesting. So I went over here and found... That in 1901 to 1902 was a, a Shemitah and the U.S. market crashed 46. Um, percent But in 1916 to 1917, which is when the Russian Revolution started and they overthrew, uh, I believe it was the czars at that time. And there was a lot of um, there were even Mennonites and Amish people who were chased out because I, I believe it was under. I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was like King Catherine before that time. She, she had welcomed the Jewish people there. She had welcomed uh, some of the other Christian sects, et cetera. And so when this happened and it became communistic, this drove them out. Uh, the Russians started fleeing, um, the, the Russian Jews. And then uh, we had the, the Amish and the Mennonite. And there's a really good book out there that I used to read um, to my children. It's called Forgot, uh, forsake no forgotten, but not forsaken. It's an Amish book, um, and it's about how they had to. Their family was separated. Didn't know if they were dead or alive. They traveled and got over into Europe, and then eventually, a lot went to Canada. A lot went to South America. And this is the same with this gentleman, uh, Boris Sarovsky, Sarakovsky, excuse me. And so, what happens? And we're going to be going into his story. It's really his mother's story um, of what happens after this revival starts during this time period of the communists coming in. And so the first seven to 10 years or so, the persecution wasn't that bad. It's very much like today when we had a certain event happen or begin to take place in the last two years, now going on three years. And so there was this great revival. We're going to get into prayer. We're going to get into fasting and how we are literally a living sacrifice. That when we fast, we are offering up the ruach, the breath, because like over seventy percent of our fat basically is burnt and uh, comes out of the body uh, through expiration through our respiration system. And so we're gonna we're gonna look at that. And so, you know, if you've ever wondered why is it that Yahweh um, seems to listen or take heed more, um, or some things require fasting, it's because it literally takes us being a literal living sacrifice, where our aroma, our our ruach, our breath, and the waters through the kidneys, etc., go up to Him, and so. And, you know, if we compare that to the sacrifices, we are the living stones temple and we are the living sacrifices just like Yeshua is. Um, so let's go back to this. So let's look at this. It says 1916 to 1917. There's this U.S. stock market um, value that wiped out uh, 40% of it in the U.S. stock market. German, Austro-Hungarian, Russian, and Ottoman empires collapse Britain, the world's greatest empire at that time, was almost bankrupt. And the beginning of America to rise to a world power began now, all during this one Shemitah year. Now, most of you probably remember the 2007 and the 2008 one where the market was crashed. You know, for me personally, I had always noticed that there was a seven-year cycle in my life um, back to like the 70s right and especially as it came into the 90s and it was i found it fascinating that in in the late 90s early 2000s that they were shmitas uh these major events in my personal life and so i thought that was quite fascinating and and one of them was ni- year 93 94 you know if you sh- if you uh, go back and listen to my testimony last year uh last week a lot of that was 93 94 um, you know, I was remarried in uh, 93, and our son, who we adopted, who was part of a prison ministry, he was our spirit baby. And um, that was the same year, same time frame. Um, then the big one came in 2007, 2008, which most of us remember. We had a house in uh, Northwest Montana, and overnight it lost like almost 50% of its value. Uh, my job, my, my husband had a job with the railroad um, offer because the mine was um, going out. And as soon as that president of that year, won't mention his name, came into office, they stopped that economy and they rescinded the job offer. Now, what was also interesting during that time period was if any of you have ever studied or looked at um, a group um, his name is uh, Gershom Solomon and i saw him in florida i'm not sure if shell did but went to see him in florida and i want to say it was around 90 on 2000 no it was 2003ish or so 2004 and the story about Gershom Solomon is he started the temple the faithful temple mount organization but he has a phenomenal story in that he was there during the Six Day War as a young man, and he he was shot. He was left in the field overnight, and he was laying there. And the next morning, when the the Arabs Muslims came out, they had surrounded him uh, while he was laying on the ground because he pretended to be dead all night. You know, to survive through the night. And why they surrounded him, um, he. You know, they were all getting ready to shoot him. They all had their gun down there. And then what happened, he said, this bright light appeared. And, of course, he says, Elohim, Hashem, Elohim, Hashem. And um, he said that the Heavenly Father told him, I have a duty for you. I have a job for you. And that is for you to set the temple, the cornerstone. So if you listen to his story and what really uh, stood out to me about his story when we went to see him was he kept mentioning over and over what a great privilege it was to suffer for Elohim. And so there's the really wild story there on how uh, he comes from a, a Kohen line and, and evidently it turns out that their family, their job was to uh, do certain things for the tabernacle. And then he found that the Kohen family that was responsible for making sure that they had a stone that wasn't you know, cut by man, and so he was given this huge, huge stone that takes a truck to move and everything, and then someone stole it, and then they they donated another stone, and if you follow them, every, almost every feast, um, they're trying to get that up there, because from, for for them, for that temple cornerstone to be put there means the ushering in of the Messiah, okay, So that's very, very important to them. But I want to tell you that he is also considered one of the number one enemies to the political state of Israel because he believes what Elohim's word says, and that is they need to be obedient. They need to do certain things um, and not play the political game with the rest of the world. He even wrote a letter to the Pope one time requesting or demanding actually that the original menorah be returned. So, you know, his mindset is totally sold out to Elohim. He's not your typical Jewish brother. Well, so what was what was interesting during this period of time was during that crash in the Shemitah in 2008, he was taking another trip to come back to the U.S. and he was coming down through Canada And they stopped him at this exact same time period when a certain president came into office and would not allow him back into this country anymore. But before that, he went over, he would come over and he'd go to Christian churches and he would would teach them about the tabernacle and the cornerstone and so what has happened during that time frame from 2008 when you used to see or read a lot about that in the israeli paper you don't see that anymore but what you do see a lot of and who is the authority is the temple institute and so you have to understand there's there's different political things going on there and um so that was also the same time period that i learned about boris Sorokovsky. And that's the story. And I've also given you the link that we want to talk about. I don't know if Boris is still alive, but was very interesting when we went to go plan the Sukkot. One of the brothers that's coming said, "I, I want you to print these for me. I don't have a means to print them. Would you please print these for me? And I said, sure. And then when I realized what it was, I was like, oh, I know this story, right? So I think this story is going to bless you. And we're going to get into that. Um, hopefully, yeah, we should have time today. So I wanted to show you there's a Shemitah. So like they have right here on this page, you know, the question is, what's going to happen by the end of the Shemitah year, right? So there's some things I kind of thought would was really interesting. Um, first of all, if you haven't been following the Rosh Hashanah or the New Moon Renewal that comes every single month, and right now we're in the, well, it depends on which calendar you're on, but for most people right now, we're in the sixth month. I personally think we're probably in the seventh uh, for different reasons, but we are observing the seventh month next month. And um, so here's the deal. We are facing possibly very potentially something major between now and this next new moon, or this Rosh Hodesh, the head of this month, okay, and it will be the end of this Shemitah, so that's why I say what I say, because we don't know what's going to change, or could change that, and what, you know, how much of an effect will we see now, and how much of an effect will we see in the coming months, and again, we're going to kind of compare this to this story in Russia, okay, we've already seen a progression, right, of what happens to people, believers versus non-believers and what happens in this country and the political pressures and the social norm pressures, right, that are put upon us. So one of the things I wanted to point out to you is if you haven't been watching this, uh, electromagnetically, uh, weather gets much worse, usually during a Rosh Hodesh, okay? Okay. Uh, An example would be the tsunami that hit uh, India, Indonesia in 2000, was it December, 2004, I believe it was. The, was it um, during hurricane, the the big hurricane that hit the South in 2000 and I believe it was 2004, um, four or five in there when this, you know, they had all those people in the. I think it was Ast- it was Astrodome. I can't remember the stadium, but they had all these people in the stadium, right? And it was so dark. Well, when they say it was dark, it was very dark because there was no moon. In both the tsunami situation and that situation when that hurricane hit, which was probably engineered, I think it was 2004 because we had three hurricanes hit us back to back, and then that final one after we 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 actually. Exited Florida that during that time. In fact, Shell. I don't know if you remember. We had a Sukkot planned <laughs> to happen that year, and the campground got blown away. So we didn't have that, and um, we were going to actually have Mia Rushing there, who does uh, Mia music, and um, so yeah, that was you know that thing. So if you're you know if you want to look and you want to watch this. Um, Look at your new moon, potentially every new moon, sometimes full moon, probably often pretty full moon, but usually new moon. um, You're going to find the disasters, whatever kind they are, especially weather uh, is potentized during that particular time. And major events happen that. So if you ever want to look at major events in history, or even now, you know, in current history. Look at, when is it? Well, this one that is being projected worldwide right now is being projected um, between um, September 26th and the 27th, or some say back to the 24th. Basically, it's that new moon renewal, which is when we're going from the month of Elul for those who are on that calendar into the seventh month of the trumpet. Now, some people call it Rosh Hashanah at the head of the year. And some people get really bent out of shape about that. I personally do not because there's two growing seasons in Israel and there is a civil year that starts then. And then there's the regular year, just like we have a, you know, a physical, some people may have a physical year or a civil year. Um, But you know, if, if, if that's, you know, But for me overall, yes, it is the seventh month. If you go through the scriptures, when it talks about the mystery of the seventh trumpet, etc., it's talking about the seventh month or Rosh Hodesh. And we have a Rosh Hodesh or ahead of the month every every lunar month, right? And um, I personally believe they are, according to scripture, the way I look at it is it is a day of rest. It's a Sabbath and they would close the gates, etc. During that time, it was this time of rest. But when we come to the seventh Hodesh, it's special because it's the one that is Yom Teruah. It is the one that begins our mark and our count up to uh, Yom Kippurim, the Day of Atonement, um, which is our future Day of Judgment. So we're examining ourselves between now and that time. And so we are looking at this. And this is so I'm just want to say, you know, there may be something to what is being said because we are in a Shemitah and we are coming into the seventh month. Um, Rosh Hodesh for those things to be happening and another site that I wanted to share with you uh, for those who plan or want to look at that uh, and start paying attention and comparing now I've been told this is a Muslim site I don't know if it is I've never researched that uh, I don't see any evidence of that but maybe it is I don't know but here's the deal I've been using this for like a long long time maybe 20 years So if I wanna know uh, when the next new moon as in uh, the new crescent will appear, I go to uh, this site and also this is uh, posted in uh, Heart of the Tribes on my page. Um, You can also just really easily Google Moonwatch or Einstein project and it will pop up. And so what we see here is basically you can't really see the moon on September 25th as we enter into this seventh month renewal But when we get to uh, the 26th, if you're here on North America, South America, um, like it's probably not visible for me way up here uh, in Idaho. But if you're down in the southern states, you may be able to see it. And if it's in the red, you definitely will see it, just unless there's like snowstorm, snow or rain or something, clouds. Okay. But then fully across the world, we see that on September 27th. And so by this time, most everybody in the U.S. has sighted the new sliver of the moon, right? And we won't go into all the ways to split those hairs, whether it's conjunction or whatever. You know, the point of the matter, the way one of the perspectives I look at uh, is when when a baby is in utero, it's in darkness for a reason and a purpose. And we don't really seem to count or see until it comes out to the daylight when it's born. The same thing with the moon. It's and it's not it's really not a new moon. Right. We don't get a whole new moon. It is a renewal. It's a renewal process. So from a Hebrew perspective, it's a renewal. Anyway, this is a website that you can see uh, and use if you're wanting to look at your celebrations and your timings and things like that. So, um, and you know, I, I used to have a moon count calendar. I don't know what happened to it, but you can also go back in time if you get one of those and say, "Oh, I'm studying a particular date in history. Whether it's from the Bible, whether it's from the news, whether it's for whatever is going on, you can go and click in those dates, and you can see, ooh, was it a full moon? Was it a new moon?" Um, because, and then you could also get into. Um, I haven't listened to him in years and years, uh, but there is a chance there is a website if he's still around called Jim McCaney. And, you know, I'm going to say that Jim McCaney's probably full of himself, but he supposedly cracked the prime numbers, the code, and the understanding of prime numbers. He supposedly was involved in um, the technology. To orchestrate the weather. And he's very anti-NASA. Uh, and he, you know, he basically goes into how, you know, he, he'll do a lot of projections. And he can do a lot of calculations projections without a computer. That's kind of mathematical mind he has. And so sometimes you just have to listen to his science and then put it together with the scriptures. And uh, it's very, it's very fascinating. So uh, let's see where else we can go here um, before we get way into this. Uh, this I gave you the link to. It's called A Call to the Churches in America. Uh, this was printed in 1994, and I probably read it the first time in two, maybe between, I might have before I left Florida. But I definitely remember going back through it in uh, early 2000s. And then we're going to use this. Of course, we're going to update this because this is a lot like, was it Dmitri Dudeman? You know, he had a lot of things to say for us. And, um, you know, he, he, Father used him in a great way. But we have to understand that these gentlemen did not, at the time they did these writings, they did not have the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew perspective. But they were filled with the Ruach, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were used to smuggle Bibles and get all kinds of things going on for the kingdom. So I would definitely, um, you definitely want to look at that, and we'll go through and we'll do commentaries on that. Um, and then we looked at, you know, if you get a chance, go look at those Shemitah years. Start paying attention to that because Father's cycles are always on the seven seven-year cycles. Okay. Um. Okay. So. And, you know, get, if you get a chance, uh, look up the word mystery in Scripture. Uh, get your King James um, concordance out if you, if you want to do word studies with that. And um, where I'll be weaving in and out of here is um, from Luke 21, particularly twenty one thirty six, where it says, Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy uh, or deemed entirely deserving, uh, but not so much in the fact that we deserve it, but so much more in the fact that you're worth the price that Yeshua came for. That's, I mean, whether we like it or not, he thought we were worthy enough to redeem and take out of our our sins and, and pick us up off the ground. So, If he was willing to go through what he went through for us, then we need to apply that value to our importance and what he wants to do in and through us for others and for the kingdom. Anyway, count yourself worthy to escape all these things and they shall come to pass and you still stand before the Son of Man. And if you back up here when you get into the lesson of the figs, um, you know I've, I've shared this in some of my other things is... I personally, from my from my background and what I've been through, I believe that part of the figs falling are the satellites, drones, whatever you want to call them. Um, and that will have that will contribute to the men hiding in the rocks. And that's not to say that Father's not going to send, you know, whether it's asteroids, whatever he sends, because what whenever he starts shaking, literally, the powers in the heavens. Uh, The principalities and the powers, which, you know, if you think about it, the things that are up there besides the, you know, if you want to look at the demons or whatever, the powers and principalities in the air are in that spider web around the earth, over the earth, whatever your model is there. And it, it creates a spider web. And the whole purpose, with their own words at NASA Space Center, is to track and for communications. Okay, and we are seeing this more and more every day. Uh, it's been here a long time, actually, but we are just now really seeing the ramifications of it. You know, I got a I got a new Costco card the other day, and uh, it was attached to a credit card and instead of calling to get activated, I have to go online and the whole new method is different. So again, everything you go to do is for tracking, everything you do, your keyboard, your strokes, if you go in and out and you do online banking, um, if you just wanna do a newsletter, for goodness sake, I have to constantly let them know who and where I'm at attached to this thing, okay? So, just saying, there's some other perspectives here that we can see with the technology that is going on. Uh, For those of you who are going to be getting ready for Sukkot, look at the last chapters of Zechariah. Zechariah, and in that whole situation towards the end, is basically describing a nuclear war, and it's also describing what's going to happen for all those that are left through this period of time that are going to be required to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate Feast of Tabernacles. That is not when we get to heaven in the sky, okay? And that's actually what got my attention many years ago about Sukkot. So uh, we need to start trying to look at the application. And of course, a generation, 10 or 20, 30 years ago, we couldn't even really understand a lot of things. The last two years. We, we couldn't have understood a lot of things. So, um, you know, look at how technology in our world interacts with the scriptures today. And, of course, they had to, you know, give it in prophecy as they could see it and understand it from that time period. Um, you know, they didn't put drones and satellites up there, but a satellite sparkles in, in the dark. And so it has light, Right a star sparkles a planet sparkles so in the scriptures when they were talking they didn't say oh that planet or you know that they were looking at the form and function of it the form and function was it was shiny it it, it shone through the darkness right and it was light so um so we're gonna um that is kind of where we're at we're in a day where you know if you've been in survival and prep for the last 20 30 years you know there really isn't Anywhere to go. I mean, yes, it's better to be in the country. Yes, it's better to be in some more remote area so that you can not be right around the cities and the problems that come with cities and 5G towers, etc. But in reality, until Yahweh intervenes, uh, and of course he won't until he accomplishes his purposes, um, you're not going to run from them and they're going to keep coming in and they're going to keep building them. They're going to keep inputting putting them and you, you know, so you can go move somewhere else now, but you know, in a year or two from now or six months from now, it might not be that way for you. So the question is, is where do you go to escape these high places of power that the enemy has? Right. You have to somehow learn to battle and be sustained and transcend and go through that to the higher, to the most high, who rules over all of that. We have to remember everything that's going on, he is in control. He has not forsaken. You know, when we pray, you know, if my people who are called by name, my name will humble themselves and pray. You know, here in America, we've, we've always been taught that, oh, if we do this and we repent, you know, he's going to heal our land. Well, if you've been around and paying attention and, and you're really studying the scriptures and you understand that there's a greater exodus, it's not just the land in which we live in that's affected. It is our land, the covenant land to the covenant people of Yahweh that needs to be healed and restored. And that will happen as in the book of Zechariah in those days. and people will be able to come up, and if they don't come up, they're cursed, okay? So, again, it's not just a pie-in-the-sky thing. We're living in the reality and the time or the threshold of going into these things. Um, okay. So I think that will be, um, we can stop that for right now. Okay, so uh, before we get into Boris and his uh, testimony here, and then we'll get into all the other stuff in the other shows, I wanted to go back and say I, I told you that in the last show that I was going to share with you the next um, dream Vision that I was giving uh, in Florida. And um, basically what it was, was an, it was phenomenal. I, that's one thing I'm going to say. It was phenomenal. I'm not, I think I was asleep. But it was as if I was awake. And all night long, I my eyes, they were just seared into my eyes was the map. And it was a map of the United States and Canada. And at the time, I was living in Florida. Okay. And Yahweh put his finger like this down over the map. And um, in fact, I should have thought about that. Maybe I can find the um, picture for you and post and and bring that up for you to see. And um, uh, we've had to go through, we're in the middle of going to a new server to fix the server, a new computer. Um, There's just all kinds of crazy things going on here in technology. And almost every other day I have to reset my, speakers because somehow my speakers get turned off i you know i have to retest and reboot from scratch for everything it's kind of crazy um um, i'll bring this up because i want to show you this picture um finger finger vision okay we got a picture here i think we can bring up here we go and so I'll go back to the share here. Okay. So as you can see here, and I'll try to close this other stuff out. All right. So basically in this finger vision, what had happened was I, all night long, all I could do was stand there and stare at this thing. So I studied the boundaries and the borders and, 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 you know, that's all I could do. And what I, what I heard the father speak to me was this is my finger of protection and this is where you and your family will be safe. And so, um, you know, so I had, that, I had that imprinted in my mind about, I don't know, maybe a week later, two weeks at the very most, we went on a homeschool field trip to the Orlando Science Museum and while i was standing there in this one room from the floor to the ceiling was a quarter of a globe in 3d and it had and when i looked up at the top it was north america when i looked up there i saw oh my gosh the finger is marked topographically on a topographical map so if you If you can get topographical maps and you're here. So here's the finger. This is exactly how I saw it. Okay. Now, we won't go through all the things and all the battles that it took to get set free to be able to leave and go to that finger. But it happened and it's happened three times. I have been in and out. The last time was just this year. But, um, I knew that it came over to the Continental Divide over here through Montana. It took up the North Idaho Panhandle, and it took a sliver of Washington State, which is interesting because when you really get in here, then you see the waters, the watershed, etc. Now there was another book, if you can, uh, Nita Johnson, N I T A Johnson, and uh, Winds of Change. Uh, she had a book called Winds of Change. If you can you can actually even go on the internet and type that in and you'll see maps pop up. And if you see that map pop up, you'll see that this particular area is one of the areas in her prophetic dreams and writings um, that seems to be safe. Now, what I found fascinating back then was I haven't seen any sense because I haven't been really looking, but I saw back in the early, um, right before the 2000s, after that vision was if you were in the new age camp, they had maps of safety that were the exact opposite of what the believers and who, the people who were having prophetic dreams. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. Anyway, long story short, through all the miracles that it took to get here the first time, I went to the store, uh, and you have to understand in Northwest Montana, you know, uh, Walmart's 100 miles away at least, uh, depending on where you lived, where we were. And uh, we were living off grid then. So it's probably more like 130. Anyway, so, you know, when you go to town, you got one grocery store, maybe a caddy store. Um, You know, there's a few things, but it's not like you would be hopeful that when you get there, you're going to be able to find a book. On flowers well it just so happened that this particular grocery store did have books on flowers identification of flowers and the reason I wanted to get that was because my daughter liked flowers and she was drawing them and so you know I was gonna have her journal and draw so I, I walk up and I see this book on the shelf in the grocery store after all that we had to go through in the battle custody battles all these things we had to go through to get there I turn the book over because uh, the front of the book was uh, plants of the Rocky Mountains. I turned the book over, and and what did I see? I saw the topographical map right here, and I have outlined it in uh, red. But here's the really freaky thing: I put my finger on it, and it fit perfectly. So for me, that was like many confirmations of Yahweh's telling me, "You're here. You were. I brought you to." And um, all the different things that had that, and if you're interested in that, you can, you know, you can email me, and I'll share that with you. I've shared it with people through the years. What's really fascinating is there's lots of people up here in this panhandle area, on on both sides, into Montana, into Washington, who know, and/or have had dreams and visions. Maybe not. I'm I've never heard any as specific as this one, but they know that this is an area of refuge for them. And so this area is filled with, in fact, it takes two to three hours to go to the border, um, more like three in this radius uh, to the Canadian border. And I can tell you that since 1997, when we started investigating and moving to this area, we have gone from like we knew a handful of people that are Torah keepers preparing for the return of the Messiah to now in some of the gatherings um, for the feasts. Because most people up here don't regularly attend a congregation. It's mostly home, home churching. Um, most people have, you know, they have some kind of homestead lifestyle. So they don't just leave their animals, et cetera. But I would say uh, the last couple of times they'd say there was 500 to 700 people attending these events in this little panhandle area. And that means we're not pulling over from the Montana side. And we're probably not pulling over from the Washington sliver. Uh, And there's lots of those who don't show up. And so that is how it has just grown and mushroomed in this area. And I would I would venture to say with the different places that I've gone and taught and and the things that I hear from the different congregational home church leaders that I I would venture to say there's at least two to 5,000 in this area and more coming all the time. So um, Father will call some of us to go to certain areas. And so I implore you to just really, you know, search him, uh, search his, his heartbeat. What does he have for you? Where does he want you? What does he... What is his, your plan and purpose that he has for you to further his kingdom? That's, that's what's important. You need that personal relationship with him so that you know where he's calling you to. So that, in a nutshell, without going into all of that stuff, and I do share it needs to be edited really bad, but I do share what happens. We came all three times because we knew we were supposed to be here. Uh, and all three times we did not have a job. It was by faith. You may ask, why did we, why did we leave? Well, the first time was because we were drawn back to Florida to fight a custody battle. Uh, and I kind of shared with that, that I had to fight the attorney who was hired to let that little boy get a divorce and they made a movie out of it. Um, the second time, and so we were we were separated for five years from our dream and calling, and that was really really hard. Um, then we went back, and the mine collapsed where my husband worked, so we had to find a job. We found a job over the, uh, from Montana into the Idaho border, um, and we were still within the Finger. But all the ministry and work that I was doing predominantly was over in Oregon, and so we put. You know, we put it before the Lord and, and mostly for our last two children, because, um, you know, if you've been in this a long time, you know, we used to have children who were like, we're never going to find anybody who does the feast or observes the Torah, you know, who believes like we believe to, you know, we're now looking at two and three generations of people that we know who get married at Sukkot, who met at Sukkot, who met at um You know, I have a son married to a girl he met at uh, Brad Scott's uh, Messianic West Coast uh, camp that he did every year. So we see generations of it now that we we didn't see before. Um, So, you know, this this is where we're at. And And then the last time, so we put a fleece before him. We said, Father, if you want us to go. Uh, and also my husband couldn't go back and forth because such a long, it was a long drive and he couldn't do all the things with us. And we saw this huge young um, group of youth. And so we thought that father wanted us to go for the young people, uh, for their last two sons that were still at home. And so we went and we were there six years and then we had no means or way to get out. But father made the way and miraculously provided for us to come back again. Uh, and I think this this time he's been showing me over and over that this time, the third time is the last step before the next step, which we're going to be talking about Jordan and Bozra um, in the future. So um, so they, during that time also, I was reading and studying that there is a King's Highway. Now I thought that King's Highway was old and ancient. I didn't know it still existed, but then I, uh, started listening to Yadida and uh, we brought her in and hosted her for a few days and learned that, you know, I think I mentioned this the last one, they they've been saving up grains of United Nations. They have a biosphere there. The Bedouins um, have a know that the sons of Israel are coming back. Um, I've had dreams of being in those Bedouin t- tents. And um, then in 2014, when I heard Eddie Chumney mention a group of people that were there, I that really perked my ears. And then uh, Kimberly Rogers, who uh, used to be on—I think she still is actually on Hebrew Nation Radio when when I was over there. And um, so they went, and then more people went. And I, I've met and known more people who have gone there. And earlier this year, when Father kept showing me about, you know, yes, I'm taking you out, and yes, you need to downsize, but there's another place and i'm bringing back this story of bozra to you because this is this is your goal and um you know but you know it was almost 20 years ago that he had first been speaking to me about that and of course i've learned through the years that it is real and there are now, uh, and just this year, I had someone contact me who shared with me another person because they used to live in Jordan, told me about another person. And so I'm sharing with you their website called thecalltojordan.com. And I would encourage you to get their book, uh, it's an online book, and read it. Um, and so and they, oh, and they also, I shared this with Shell on one of the shows I did, I think, of uh, Walking and Torah show about Bozra, Bozra in the sky, in the heavens, which is, uh, I believe, actually cancer, which is the sheepfold. We need to learn, relearn the biblical aspects of the stars in the heaven, which I believe originally were oats and signs that you would read in the heavens, just like we read ancient Hebrew. And um, her son um, from that website, Amy Ryan, one of her sons, actually, ha- I haven't got to get it yet, um, just wrote a book about the stars and I used to have a site like I don't know 20 years ago uh, on biblical Hebrew uh, astronomy on how it related to each of the 12 tribes um, because they camped in the same order on earth as it was in heaven with the constellations or the oats or the signs of the different um, there's a correlation between each one of them and each of the tribes so, I'd encourage you to study, pray about those things. Um, okay, now we're going to move on here because we're gonna we're gonna get into the story, and then uh, we won't do it today. We'll, we'll wait till we get done with the story. Probably we'll go into praying and fasting and looking at that in ancient Hebrew. Okay, so um, let's see here. So we have um, this was written in April of. Um, 1994, okay, and um, it was written by Boris, and uh, again, this a lot of this comes from his mother, and I, there's a lot of things that are amazing from the story that I remembered, but now I'm going back through it and seeing some details and parallels to today, and that is really what I feel like Father's sharing uh, and, and pulling out to me to point out that the, the strong persecution is coming Father's going to want us to get into prayer, ignite a fire when we come together, literally because we are each a literal living stone of light and fire. When we come with two or more, we ignite that fire. And Father's going to give us the ability to sustain us. We might not have jobs, but he will have provision and he will sustain those that are faithful to bring us through. Will there be suffering? Probably. Sure. You know, Um, When do we think that we can't share in the suffering of Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua? Okay, that is, you know, if you, in my opinion, if you cannot get into the, the suffering with your Messiah, you're missing the true gospel. The true gospel, there is suffering. And but through death, as we lay our lives down, through suffering, As we surrender, we will embrace and become empowered to overcome, just like Yeshua, and that's what He's calling us to. And our brothers and sisters around the world know this; they know it all too well. And Americans have, um, you know, a uh, big—we have a big awakening. You know, there's a—I can't remember the name of the 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 show that came out within the last few years, but there's one on uh, Iran. And it, about the church in Iran, and how a couple actually got from, well, they got out of Iran, got into America. And the woman, you know, even though they're treated very badly over their women, she told her husband she had to go back to Iran and that she would rather endure the suffering over there than to come to lukewarm America and lose her. She said, "Salvation," I believe it was, but to lose that, she didn't want to lose that relationship. She didn't want to lose what causes them to come on there. No, we re—I'm sorry—we rewatched um, God's Not Dead number four, I think, last night, and that is a very good thing. They—they they show the relativism of, you know, what is freedom? What is faith in action? Right. Um, you know, people walk hours to read a Bible or to praise and worship. Not in America. I remember years ago having a, uh, being, just totally blown away by by someone in the Messianic Hebrews camp talking about, you know, if you don't use his name right, you're not going to the kingdom. I was blown away. I was like, you're kidding me, like these people who stand up for their faith who lose their homes that are burnt, who have their arms and legs cut off, who are still faithful to the Messiah. You're going to tell me they can't enter, but we in America who are fat, which means we have plenty, which relates to shimen and oil, the overflowing. We are the ones I believe mostly in revelations where we're blind, but we don't know it. We're naked, but we don't know it. These people that are poor, these people that are suffering, who know what real true faith is and what it costs, who have nothing. And Yeshua, the Messiah, is their only hope. Who don't care what comforts they do or don't have because they're not used to them anyway, right? We can't. who, Who are we? Who are we? Anyway, sorry about that. Okay. um, But yeah, so let's get on with Mr. Boris. And this is a call that he has for the churches, which I think is prophetic and we can learn from it. And it's something that we definitely um, need. And if it's okay, I think, Shell, we're good. Um, I'm going to go long again today. So uh, maybe that'll make up for not being here next week. We'll see. Okay. So a call to the churches in America, and this is kind of similar to uh, Dmitri Dudeman's uh, work. Um, okay, first of all, I'd like to greet you all with the words of my Lord, and of course, again, I'm not. I will try to use these words, but these are His words from His time period and His understanding, which was our words and understanding at the time from our um, from our Adonai our Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Of course, that's not what he wrote. Peace unto you all. It was very unexpected for me to be here tonight, but I feel privileged that I can share as a bond servant to Yahweh about his grace and mercy to us as he led our people from Russia to China, from China to Australia, and from Australia to Canada. It will probably be good for you to think and pray about being nomadic I have seen this for the last 30 years, being in uh, survival real estate, people wanting to hunker down, people wanting to create communities, and um, it's not it just never works. It, it, my experience and or the powers to be make it illegal. And I felt like over the years when I questioned the father about it, he said, "I don't want my people comfortable." Are are you going to be ready to get up and leave to go to the kingdom? A nation, the original definition had to do with family. Israel is a nation because they are a family coming from those 12 tribes. In the Middle East, this is understood. You know, even uh, we've been studying Jordan. Jordan is over 30% refugees. Um, Some of those refugees are from Sudan and Syria. Uh, Some are from uh, what they call Palestine, which is the Israeli side. Um, and when you when you listen to them and you look at them, you know they still connect. They are so strong with family bonds, and they're so strong with their village, their communities. We do not have that here, which I think is one of the reasons why Ephraim at large. argue so much because we just don't think we need each other we don't like it we go to a different church now that we don't do church in the building so much with the church uh mainstream pagan church you know we just go and create our own thing and or and or we come on um the internet we blast somebody right uh because we don't need them because we don't feel that we are really part of the body somehow we think we're a different body or we've been extracted and it's okay to beat up the rest of the body okay (laughs) so anyway Oh, by way of introduction, I would like to share quickly where we come from. As we go around North America continent um, and around the world ministering about the message of the last days, people quite often ask, what is your nationality? And I say, I'm not sure myself anymore because I was born in China on the way of this uh, exodus that they had to go on uh, in order to survive and listen to the Lord be obedient. Um, And I had Ukrainian parents. We spoke with the Ukrainian language at home and the Turkey language in the streets, playing with Turkey children as young boys. And then we spoke Russian, um, Ukrainian, and Chinese in school because that's the kind of school we had. And now I've been fighting 20 or 30 years with English. So I'm not really sure anymore what nationality I am. But, of course, he knows he's from the nation um, but may not define it in that way at that time period that he's he's from the family in the covenant of Yahweh, okay? Um, uh, because the kind of school we had. and now I'm fighting with English. So I'm not really sure anymore what national I am, but if you want to be honest, now again, this is his terminology. He doesn't have the understanding of being from the nation of Israel. He said, I am a Jew. He doesn't understand that Jews are Israelites, but not all Israelites are Jews, right? Um, But that's his understanding. That That is who, I mean, I know when I first came in, where else was I going to go to? I was going to go to the Messianic Jew to learn from, right? Um, Even though we were treated like the redheaded stepchild, that was okay, you know, Um, because they viewed us as Gentiles. Uh, Anyway, so you say, how come? Because I am a son of Abraham by faith. And my country is heaven. My kingdom is of heaven. So I'm not fighting for any nationality. I'm not a racist. Defending this one or that. And Christ, there is no race. No race. But newborn men and women of Yahweh and Yeshua the Messiah. Saved and washed by his blood. And it also becomes very hard sometimes as we go around and minister. Everybody wants to know. What is your denomination? what is your affiliation what church do you belong to and yahweh taught me to speak only from the bible and i love the word and i want to share the word of yah and nothing else so i'll answer the question from the bible only and so i say i belong to that denomination which was in the days of the apostles i belong to the antiochian church because they were Gentiles. Now, again, he doesn't know or have the understanding that a lot of those Gentiles were actually Samaritans who were actually from the northern tribes. It was actually Israel. But that's okay. We're looking at the spirit of this message. So my denomination is Christian. And they say, well, everybody's a Christian. I'm sorry, he says. I beg your pardon. Let's check with the Bible to see if everybody is a Christian or not and i read that the only denomination the only true faith was one faith and that was the apostolic faith that was established by yeshua himself in the days of the apostles with the signs and miracles following now i will have to say this coming from um, being raised uh, as a military brat who only knew there were three services protestant catholic or jewish and only attending church on you know Easter or Christmas Eve, uh, because my parents didn't normally go. I had one grandmother who was a Methodist and one grandmother that was a Baptist when we visited. So I knew those were Protestant. It wasn't until I went to a throw-off of Calvary Chapel in Southern California, and I knew nobody told me. I didn't even know there was such a thing really that there was the Holy Spirit there. Okay, so. I understand what it's like not to know all the denominations or to look at them, but to to look at the spirit uh, behind them and the signs, wonders and miracles. And of course, a lot of us uh, came out of what we call the thrills, chills and goosebumps of the Pentecostal or charismatic churches. Right. And there was a lot of things that were wrong, but there were a lot of things that were right. And for a lot of us who came into the Torah movement for a good 10 or 20 years, we quit walking in the signs, wonders, and miracles. We quit walking in the words of discernment and prophecy. We quit walking in the laying of hands and healing. And it was it was actually taboo because we were trying to do all the liturgy and all the different things uh, like Brother Judah. And um, I don't think we're going to make Brother Judah jealous, okay? Okay. Um, It's going to be with the signs, wonders and miracles with the power of Yeshua, the Messiah, that we also still adhere to and try to obey the rules and instructions of life, which is the Torah. Okay, so the true church is one faith. And I know in heaven there will be one faith also. And anything in between that apostolic faith and the faith in heaven is just a bunch of fences and crosses and cross fences and barricades and different divisions. It's all man-made. It's not in the word. So excuse me if I don't belong to any of them, he says. I belong to the first denomination, which we will call Christian. Um, Which, again, I think if he, you know, and maybe he's there now. Who knows? I think if he kept digging back and and Father would reveal to him in in this time period, that he would understand that he was Israel. So if you are satisfied with that, we'll leave it at that. That's just by way of introduction, but people usually leave me alone after that because they really want to know what denomination I am. But it has nothing to do with the denomination. Yahweh did not intend any denomination, but it's man-made, just branching away and branching away and lots of energy is spent and just branching away and defending denominations instead of the truth, which is Yeshua, the Messiah, which is in here in the Bible. So we're going to turn to the word of Yah now. And after that, we will go into a little bit of the background and sharing about the mercies, 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 mercies that Yahweh has and how he dealt with us in Russia and in China. So this will be uh, chapter two from Judges. And I will read word for word from my old fashioned Russian Bible. And you can check if that's what it says in your English Bibles. We'll start in verse six. And so Joshua let the people go and they went away to their own houses in their own area in order to receive their inheritance of the land, which is also the covenant um, betrothal gift, really, the the land. And so at that time, the people were serving Yahweh all the days of Joshua and the elders and those who had all seen the mighty works of Yah, which we had performed in Israel. But when Joshua, Yahshua died, son of Nun, the slave of the Lord. My Bible says slave, he says. In your Bible, it probably says servant. You know, this reminds me, and we need this reminder. We are all slaves. You will either serve Yahweh or you will serve Hasatan. Or you can serve yourself. But if you're serving yourself, you are serving Hasatan. You did not create yourself. You are not a God. You are not Elohim. You belong to your creator. And this other person came along who was created or being. And so we do need to look at ourselves as bond servants. You, <laughs> Also, okay, so there's this movie out there called mm, Something About a Kite. And it takes place in Afghanistan. Uh, Do not probably let your children watch it. But that movie is a perfect example from the Middle Eastern perspective of what it's like to be a servant and a bond slave and faithful even when you're persecuted by the household that you're serving it's a it's a phenomenal story and it's based on a true story also gives you a good history on the terrorist groups uh, and people politically who came in and out of afghanistan um, but in my bible it says slave of the york Sa- the slave of yahweh being 110 years old he was buried on mount of ephraim to the north of the mount of gaash and when another generation had arisen who did not know Yahweh and all his works, which Yahweh had done to Israel, the sons of Israel started to do evil in the eyes of Yahweh and started to be servants of Baalim or Baal or the house of darkness. And we definitely, in a sense, can see that today we are not, um, let's say, this generation, uh, and it, it sometimes blows my mind. You know, if you talk to most children or youth on the street, besides not even knowing where, you know, certain things in the U.S. are, they don't even know the basic stories of the Bible. They don't. They don't know Yahweh. They don't know the basic story of Noah. Or I, I've talked to kids, and it's just it blows it blows my mind. They have no reference whatsoever, not at all. And of course, this is why we have so much lawlessness. And they forsook Yahweh Elohim, their fathers, who he had led out of the land of Egypt. And they turned to other gods, to gods of other nations, other families, nations or families that were surrounding them. They started bowing down to them and they brought his wrath and they forsook Yahweh and they started to serve Baal and Ashtoreth. Um, A lot of times Ashtaroth in the scriptures is translated to groves. And one of the things I'd like you to take note of is this. When you're sitting there at the White House in the Oval Office and you look out across that water up to the Washington Monument, you are looking at an Ashtaroth. If you drive across this country now, in many cities and places, you will see that Tower Ashtoreth, which is also like the center of the pinnacle in the Vatican, is also sitting on both ends of your bridges. If you look at your names of people who had served in our military who died in your county or city or state, many times if you pay attention on each side, encasing that memorial are ashtaroths or those pinnacles which you can get into and study so though we may put a memorial up there to honor those who died for us and father showed this to me at one a few years ago across the gorge river uh, between washington and oregon and there's actually a miniature stonehenge there too which is really creepy And we were over there praying, me and two other sisters one year. And um, Father just showed us that these memorials are kind of like um, uh, skins for the enemy. You know, like when the Indians used to scout people and they would notch that, Uh, count those. Um, They mock us. They mock the sons. They know who we are, majority. They know we're the sons of Israel. They know, and they, they I i won't go into it, but he showed this to me through some articles and some things that were at this memorial. And um, they know, they, they call us the sons of fighting for liberty. The reason we have it in our hearts to fight for liberty is because we're predominantly from the house of Joseph, from Manasseh and Ephraim. And we want to fight for um, the, the, the nations. We want to fight for freedom. We want to defend. We want to give. But the enemies and the powers to be who have all these um, M-A-S-O-N places in every little town who have these little symbols and who put these things up, it's it's a mockery to them. They're not looking at it with the same perception, the same eyes that we have. Um, okay, sorry, got another tangent there, but yeah. So we're going to uh, the word now, and after we go a little bit, uh, we'll be sharing about the mercies. Okay, so uh, I'm a slave of the Lord. Okay, we went through that. And then, so we have this generation, they, they, don't, they don't know Yahweh's reading from the book of Joshua. And for the second portion of scripture, scripture, we're going to turn to the New Testament, which is in chapter 18 of Luke, beginning with verse 1. Yeshua told a parable about the prayer about prayer that we are always to pray and not to faint. saying in one city there was a judge who did not fear yahweh or the people and in that same city there was a widow who was coming up to him saying please defend me from my opponent's But he did not want to do that for a long time. But then he said to himself, even though I do not fear Yahweh and I'm not ashamed of people, I'm going to help this widow because she does not give me peace. So she will not come and bother me. May I suggest to you that we are not petitioning the throne enough. Because we are still too comfortable In the book of Exodus, Yahweh bowed and acted upon when the cry of the people were great in unison. We are not great in unison. And I really don't know why, except there's some kind of spirit of sleep or slumber over us, especially in this country. And Yahweh said, are you hearing what the unjust judge is saying? Would not Yahweh protect and defend his elect who are crying to him day and night, even though he is tarrying to help them? I say to you, he will send help and protection soon. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? And when you read that word faith, think of not this abstract thing. Think of the hardcore, concrete idea of what it looks like to be faithful. Faithful. Will he find faithfulness in spite of the trials and tribulations when he comes? That's that's the question. This passage, uh, this passage speaks about prayer, about perseverance in prayer, and about his elect, and about the last days and the coming of Yah. And there is a very sad note in the end of this saying. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith or faithfulness in the earth? Yes, he will find many Christians when he comes, but will he find a living faith in Yahweh and his word and his plan for the church or the called out ones of Yah? So in my infirmity, I'm going to share how Yahweh has shown mercy to Russia. And he will show mercy to those who are living in all the countries. In particular, most of us are talking here, but we do have those in other countries. So this isn't just just america all right this is everywhere wherever his people are the revolution took place in russia in 1917 insert i was a schmita and russia was in for 70 years of atheism and darkness and the authorities fighting against yah may i also suggest that as of january february 2020 We have entered into the same thing. So Yahweh in his mercy, in his providence, decided to send a helper to Russia to put up a standard and bring the light of the gospel to Yeshua. Now, let me make an insert here. There's a little side note, but I think it's important. You know, most of us come from and we're taught all the time that the gospel is about salvation. It is about... We have been set free from the penalty of death for the wages that we deserve of sin. But if you go back and you read that, and that's all true. If you go back and read that passage, what happens? I'll even try to pay attention and let you follow here. Um, The gospel of the kingdom in context and understanding was about the restoration of the kingdom that's what the that's what the disciples asked him when are you going to restore the kingdom and of course in christianity we've just been taught it's all spiritual you know it's just it's just spiritual no there's a physical promise a spiritual promise and everything starts in the spirit first and is manifested in this in the physical i mean the manifestation of what's in the physical is a manifestation of what's in the spiritual right so understanding about the northern tribes and the southern tribes and the deliverance and all those things that those people as a nation as a family understood is one of the things that are that is major that has been restored to us believers today who embrace genesis to revelations and the rules therein So it's about the restoration of the kingdom, not just in spirit, but in the days for those who are going to live and see the return of Yeshua, the Messiah. And gosh, it's been almost 30 years. uh, And more so keeps coming back to me uh, through the word and through things that I'm seeing is I knew the day was coming. There's only going to be one place to go. They're going to gather all of believers. Or drive them to one place. There will only be one place to have refuge because the entire world will go dark and is wicked. And we've seen this and we're in the beginning throes of this. And I think we're a little bit numb to it because we don't really want to face the reality of it. Because the most people think, oh no, we're not we're not that bad. We've got a long way to go. It, it's gonna get better. We're gonna rebuild. We're gonna we're gonna fight back. I don't think so. I think we're in a worldwide situation. If it was just regional country, I'd say, yeah, okay, maybe you're right. But we're talking worldwide of what is going on and being revealed for the last couple of years. So it's about the restoration of the kingdom. Whose kingdom do you belong to? You're not just Chinese. You're not just Russian. You're just not Ukrainian. You're just not American. You're not just from uh, Wales or England or Canada or Brazil or Colombia. You belong to one family, one nation under Yah. And there's a covenant land to it. And so he sent one man, one man from New York And he was filled with the Holy Ghost, the Ruach, the Ruach HaKodesh, set-apart spirit. He sent him to Russia. He was a Russian man from New York. And he came to Russia and he started to preach the apostolic message, the message of salvation, the message of sanctification, of holiness, of being set apart, the message of dying to sin, crucifying the flesh, the message of repentance, teshuvah, and the message of entering into the blessing of Yahweh. How do we receive the blessing of Yahweh? We walk in his Torah. Blessing, literally uh, in a pictograph and contextual manner, means to bow down on your knees and draw water to feed or drink from, to draw from the living waters, to Baruch. You know, if you have a name Brooke or Brooks, you really, it probably comes from Baruch. OK, it's it's you're a blessing and you want to walk in those blessings. How do you get those blessings by walking in the Torah? Torah is light. Torah is Yeshua. OK. Um, OK, so they sent this Russian man from New York and there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the power, the dunamis power of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Holy Spirit. And there were wonder, there were miracles, and they were able to be performed when Yahweh's people saw His face. Again, we need this. We need to learn from this, and we need to get there. The people in Russia at that time were simple people. Just most of them were farmers, hardly any education. And I may I say that uh, I would say that today, that is the majority of people, even if they've graduated and gone to college. They are pretty simple. They do not know how to think. They don't know how to use logic. They don't know how to critically think. But they're educated very much so, right? So, yes, we should aspire to be educated. But do we need to be educated first and foremost in the word of Yah and how to live? Not how to make a living, but how to live then Yahweh will provide because if we seek the kingdom first, he adds all those things onto us. That's why I think we're also in the days, we don't need to be praying about a job. We need to be praying about, Father, how do you want to provide for me? How do you want to sustain me? The rules and the methods are changing. We've got to get out of our old mindset. Now, he might, excuse me, Oh, got a hair. He might provide a job. He might also provide a place for you to live that doesn't cost as much. So you don't have to, maybe you can become self-employed. We've all got to find a way and, and we may all end up in a FEMA camp shipped over somewhere. Does that mean he's not providing for us? That he's not sustaining us? No, it's just maybe not the comfortable way our flesh would like it, okay? And again, anything that happens to us in the flesh, if we are in Him, it is for our good that we might learn His statutes and His Torah, that we might get rid of the dross that is within us. He loves us. He wants us to benefit spiritually, powerfully, not just on this earth, but eternally, and in high places, higher than what the enemy has in his kingdom in heaven. Remember, on earth as it is in heaven. So that we can have this transition between earth and heaven. How do we communicate with him? You know, we, we have this earthly pres- presence, but we also have this way to tap in that he comes to us and we go to him in the heavenly realm. The people in Russia at that time were simple people. They were mostly farmers, hardly any education. So the message was believed. They didn't have a lot of science to argue uh, or false deception of science. Uh, You know, science in and of itself just means knowledge. Well, who owns all knowledge? Who is all knowledge? It's Yahweh. You know, our great scientists of history were believers. They read the word. That's how they... That's how they discovered the things they did, including Newton and Pascal. And I can't remember the name, the guy that found the the streams and the waters. Um, The revival broke out in Russia and then it spread like wildfire, wildfire. So what, because again, we have one spark of a man with the Holy Ghost filled with literal light in the spirit and in the flesh. He comes and shares and then it's, other people pray, and they meet together, and these fires, these households, or these living stones of fire come together. And so it started spreading through many towns and villages. And so within seven to eight years, within a Shemitah, after Yahweh sent the man to Russia, the revival took place over all of the Ukraine Ukraine and all of Russia, and all as far as to the Ural Mountains, which ran north and south to divide Russia Mainland from Siberia. Isn't it interesting that Father brings us to our forefront to be reminded of this brother for this message and warning for us while Ukraine and Russia are at war? And so Yahweh was doing mighty things and he was establishing a church there, a living organi- organic organism that was living with power, church which was a change from the orthodox church, the dead church. As you might be aware, they were worshiping idols and worshiping icons, such as crosses and of all those things. So that is not to say that the top that looks like a cross is an idol. I know some people who will just throw out the top. I don't want that top because it looks too much like a cross. Um, you know, again, we're not, Holding up the tab to worship, but it is a sign and a goal of the Aleph, the first Yahweh Elohim. Um, So anyway, so he's going on. So there's this big change going on. These people are coming out of from the dead Orthodox churches. So there were many thousands of people coming to the Lord Yahweh through a simple message with the power of the Holy Ghost, like in the days of the apostles. Yahweh used simple peasants who would go on horses and carts throughout all of Russia. And of course, he did not use modern methods of jets and modern transportation or large advertising campaigns in advance. No Facebook, no internet. Okay, And I'm not judging America, he says. I'm just comparing how Yahweh did it in Russia because my mother was a living witness to that revival which took place and she was in it herself. She is still alive and she's in Canada with us. And she related many of the mighty things that Yahweh did for his glory in Russia, saving hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in Russia. Wouldn't you want this to happen in your country, wherever you are right now? He, I believe he's going to do this. He's going to prepare us. He's going to prepare the harvest. Um, but my question is, How bad does it have to get? How much persecution do we need before we get it right? And before we cry out in unison for him. So what Yahweh did was this. He would pick out one man here and there by the Holy Ghost. And he would tell them to fast. Again, fast and praise to be really important in this message. And then Yahweh would tell them the name of the village, the name of the street, and the name of the person to whom they should go just like in the scriptures in the new testament especially yahweh knew who was to be prepared in that village so these brethren would go there and they would find the man and the house he was ready and prepared by yahweh to receive the message that was being sent they would start preaching the message and before you know it in the whole village would gather together house by house because of the ruach the holy spirit because they were not eloquent people With mighty speech, they were just simple people, farmers, but they ministered in the power of the Holy Ghost like the simple fishermen in the days of Yeshua Christ Messiah. They were preaching the gospel not in their own might, but in the power of the Holy Ghost. So the whole village gathered, and before you knew it, most of the village would come to salvation to Yah. And there would be repentance, teshuvah. They would be drinking vodka and idol worshiping. And then they would become empowered with the Holy Ghost. And miracles would take place. My mother was relating to me that all the miracles that are recorded in the days of the apostles in the Old Testament were repeated in Yeshua. People have seen mighty works of Yahweh, including the resurrection of the dead. So... Yahweh was proving himself as a living Elohim, a mighty Elohim, even today in this last generation, a generation of unbelief, a generation of darkness. So this was a direct working of Yahweh in Russia. So my mother was sharing with me that this revival was spreading through the land and the people were being really blessed because they did not have Bibles because there were no there were no printing presses to take care of the need of the word of the lord in russia there were only there there were no basically no printing presses there were some bibles brought in from the west like france and england that were printed from the 18th century but those bibles were very few and far between but yahweh had taught them By the Holy Spirit, by direct revelation and visions and angels and by the word of prophecy. I heard Laura and Shell talking about the spirit of religion the other day. And this, you know, you can throw apples at me. You can throw because they hurt worse than tomatoes. But here's the deal. The true and living word of Elohim is not the piece of paper and the words in your bible that is the recording of what was already the living word in someone that Yahweh had given it to so you don't have to have a bible to be able to receive the spirit and instructions from Elohim this happens to our brothers and sisters around the world who would go and take a piece of Bible page that was used to wipe someone's hiney from a soldier who beat them to read it because they're desperate to read and be hungry. But why would they do that? It's because the living Elohim within them, the Spirit, already showed them and taught them. You know, I used to always say, and, and, and of course I operate this way. Some people like my husband's a not completely, but he's kind of the opposite. He reads it on the paper and then the spirit brings it in. I'm kind of the opposite. Father dumps it into me by the spirit. And then when I go to read the word, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's right there. Right? So he can work any way he wants. Bring his living spirit to you and his word. But in and of itself, it's just paper and pen. I mean, how many many scholars do we have who read it, who know it verbatim, but they do not have the spirit of the living Elohim living within them, and they do not know him. Okay. So I think, yeah. So he taught them by the Ruach by direct revelations, dreams, angels, and word of prophecy. Yahweh taught them without Bibles, the principles of living holy set apart. Separation from the world. Yahweh taught them that the commandment of washing the saints' feet. The Russian Revival Church practiced washing feet. The The ladies covered their heads. Yahweh taught them that the signs, the visible sign of headship in the house, And for the angels, that sign must be there. And there were many other things that Yahweh taught specifically by the Ruach because people didn't have their Bibles. So if you do have a Bible, how much more so are we responsible? But then, of course, when the brethren had opportunity to check with the Bible, it was right with the Word. So the work of the Spirit was one with the Word. Because the Word and the Spirit are one. Yeshua is that Spirit. Yeshua is that Word. It cannot work otherwise. If anybody claims to have revelations, but they are not found in the Word of Yah, they are contrary. And then we should check and beware. So what was the mighty Russian revival which took place in our day and generation? Oh, no, he said, so that was, that that was it. He says, it was the blessing of Yahweh el because he prepared Russia for the great and dark hours and the godless atheism and persecution. So my point here is right here. This is on page five. Okay. So right here is where we're at. Okay. Why is it? I believe that Father wants us to know and understand this because he wants to prepare us to escape what will come on all the world, which is already on all the world, but manifested, manif- manifested in such a way that it goes out and pursues, just like it says in the book of Revelations, when they're getting more and more bold every day. how How many more days do you think it will be before it's not so bold? To, to each of us on our own streets and our own houses. The persecution has been going a long time. I mean, I have personally been brought before the magistrates. Um, when people used to not believe it or they would just say, you know, succumb to it. Just just do what they ask, what they say. And it's, you're just looking at them like, you don't get it. You don't know what it's like to be set apart. You don't know what it's like to be convicted. And yes, it does happen. And it can just be somebody's word. No proof. I've been through court. I've sat there on the last day of the courtroom and they said, well, we can see that there's no truth to these allegations against you. But we're going to penalize you and you're not going to be allowed to leave until you get our permission. You know, it was a lie a whole time, but didn't matter. And there's no restitution for the person who lied. And for what they caused and the heartache and the cost of trying to fight to defend yourself—it happens, and now it's just more and more, more and more so. So he's preparing them. He's showing that he's a mighty merciful. He's proving who he is to these people in this seven to eight period, eight-year period, okay. And then about ten years later, what happens? The Ruach begins to speak to these hundreds of thousands of people who have become believers, who have turned their life around by teshuvah, repentance. He starts to have a warning for them. They were growing so fast, they didn't have time to build buildings. They went house to house. And if they did build a building, the numbers would be so big, so fast, it wouldn't help them. It was a living, organic church. This is what happens to the to the church in Iran today, and there, you know, again, it always flourishes under persecution. Why? There's a reason for that. There were multitudes coming to the Lord because it was the work of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the work of man. It wasn't man's. It's uh, what you would call evangelistic meetings it was wasn't man's programs they were uneducated simple people basically like children and it was the work of the ruach so they just gathered in homes and so i asked my mother what was the secret of commit continuing this presence of the mighty miracles of yahweh in russia what is that secret Who can guess? She said, it was the same as in the days of the apostles. It was mighty prayers. Russia experienced mighty prayers and they were daily prayers. If you get a chance, this reminds me. If you get a chance, which I believe is in the same time period, there's a book called Vanya, V-A-N-Y-A. It's a modern day, um, you know, not our modern day so far. It's been like 100 years now, I think. But um, I don't know. I want to say it came into the 1900s. And, but it might have been that time period. Anyway, the Book of Vanya. If you can get your hands on that book, it is the story of a young man, and, they, and, and he came from a Christian family in Russia. And of course, he had to serve in the Red Army. And they met in homes, they had daily prayers. And if you get a chance to read that book, I don't think you're going to be the same. Vanya was taken into the Russian army. He was persecuted, mistreated, He was put out in the Siberian cold. He was tortured over and over again. And yet many people in the Russian army would see him and they couldn't understand how he'd be alive. And they were saved. And so it's a story. It's a modern story of how a young man survived during that time period. And then finally, at the end, they did overcome and he he passed. And the people there in Russia wrote the story to show and give testimony to what Yahweh had done in his life. And she said to the same, okay, so they had mighty daily t- prayers. And that's what was going on in, uh, in what Vanya was brought up in. Russia experienced mighty prayers and they were at prayers t- daily. All over the villages, whenever the groups gathered, every night there were prayers. They didn't sit around watching TVs and movies. They were praying. And to, uh, and to pray two, three, or four hours was Nothing. That was nothing unusual. Mighty prayers with Yah speaking. Yah rebuked. Yah revealed secret sins of the hearts right there in those prayers. People were trembling because somebody through the Holy Spirit might call your number. Okay? Okay? People were trembling when they walked into a house or one of those meetings. They were walking in the fear and awe of Yah. They knew Yahweh was alive and they had better walk very gently and softly and holy. Otherwise, he would reveal on the spot what they were doing to hold them accountable because he loved them. He wanted them to be corrected. And as they entered in the Lord Yahweh would reveal whatever shortcomings or sins they had. And that was the direct work of the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit and we are corrected, first of all, we hope that we judge ourselves and we're corrected in private, right? But if we're not, Yahweh will still do that because he loves us, because he corrects those he loves. And a person who has his Ruach will welcome that and thank him for that because they are not fools. They want to be corrected. I want to be corrected. And I'd rather have a friend who says, hey, Nita, you're a hiney. You know, what you did, what you said is wrong. Then the friend who speaks kindly to me, does kind things, and then speaks behind my back. We need true friendships. We need true accountability. About 1928, so this is about 10 years later, Yahweh starts to speak throughout all those groups in Russia about the future days to come. Again, I think this is where we're at in our history. And Yahweh said by the Holy Spirit, my children, there will be great starvation coming to this land. And after that, great bloodshed and much suffering in this country. My children, whoever will believe my voice and obey me, I will lead you out to another country. I want to deliver you and save you from great suffering, which are coming upon this land. And this is like you tell your children, hey, listen, I want to save you some pain. I want to save you some heartache. Listen to my counsel. But if you don't, you're going to suffer. And it's hurting me to see that you're going to suffer. And many times as parents, we don't require discipline or set boundaries because we don't we don't want to hurt watching them go through that suffering. But that's not good either, because we are not doing our children any favors. You know, look at the was it the prophet? Um, He didn't he didn't discipline his children. And um, that was not a good outcome for him or his children or the people, you know, just wasn't good. So that was the voice of Yahweh coming independently throughout all of Russia. Many people had heard the same message about the days to come when that message came through. So there was confirmation. At that time, people were living very freely, even though it was during the communist regime. Where are we today? We still seem, for the most part, to be living Pretty freely very state to state but it's really good here in Idaho for the most part but it's not that way in Oregon anyway so because it took the communists 16 years to get in power and gain their strength and basically set up their infrastructure again where are we today So from 1917 to 1933, there was relative freedom, freedom of movement and freedom to preach the gospel. There wasn't much persecution at that time. They really clamped down from 1933, so on, which is when we had what the big stock stock market, I believe. I think it was 1933. My mom was born in 1933. So, yeah, that was 89 years ago. It was a time of ruthless persecution and trouble for Russia. But until then, there was still a relative freedom to preach the gospel. People lived very freely and had their own house, had their own cattle. Oh, what did I just see yesterday? They are coming out with the ruling to make us register our... Guns? No. Register our gardens. Can you imagine? This is exactly what was going on with them. Most of them were farmers, and they had their own farms. They were okay. They're pretty well off. So there was the cost. The Lord, Yahweh, was speaking that he wanted to deliver them from future suffering, but he set one condition Whoever will believe my voice and obey me, I will lead them out. Now, well, here we have this little mini exodus. How many are going to listen? How many are going to uh, go, right? So it's not enough to be saved or delivered from the wages of your sin. It's not even enough to be sanctified. It's only enough if you have Obedience. It's not enough to have the power of Yah, the Holy Spirit, and it's not enough to have miracles. That's all nice and well, and it's scriptural, and it must be a part of our lives. Yes, especially for New Testament believers. But sometimes there will come a time when people have to pay the cost of obedience. What would have happened if the Israelites didn't do that lamb and get their feet shod and stand up all night and have their staffs ready to go in the morning? And they had to stay in their house. They had to put the blood on the blood on the on the post. What would have happened? They had to obey, in and of themselves. Each one of those things seems simple, but if they didn't obey, if they did not shema, then it, you know, okay. In our Christian theology, do we think okay they're going to die and and they get to go to heaven and maybe they'll be there for the resurrection? Or, and what will the reward be? You know, oh, you didn't obey me. You didn't, you didn't lay your life down. You didn't give up everything to serve me. And here's the thing. If you don't, do you know how many people you affect that you can't even see or know who will also fail because you didn't obey? But then if you do obey, how many more people Will it affect that you can't even see? And it will make their life better and give them deliverance and give them blessings if you are obedient. There are sometimes, um, but there sometimes will come a time when people have to pay the cost for obedience. Forsaking, remember, we 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 uh, we wage the cost. It, it's, it's gonna have to cost us everything. You know, we always tell people it's gonna get better when you say, but that's not true. You know, the truth of the matter is it's gonna cost you everything you got. Will you be blessed? Probably most likely. And you'll be blessed in your suffering. You'll be blessed that you can endure that suffering with joy. But if you don't obey, you're not gonna have that. Forsaking all for the sake of doing Yahweh's will. And going wherever he leads. So then. Out of those thousands and thousands of believers. Used by Yahweh. In Russia to proclaim the gospel. And spread the message of the living Elohim. Just a few hundred. Is that less than 10%? I've always said. It's the it's it's a tithe of the ten percent. I mean, it's like ten percent of the ten percent who forge through, who totally surrender, who jump off the cliff into his hands. Okay. And Yahweh said to them, "My children, seek my face and pray, and I will direct you." And so, fortunately, or excuse me, and so eventually, um, around 1931, before it got super bad, two years before the message came from Yahweh, my people, it's time to move out. First of all, Yahweh will always speak in advance. As you read the word of Yah, first in the Old Testament and then in the New, Yahweh always warns his people in advance. He will tell them of things to come. I think that's also in the book of Job. Um, There's a quote in there that he does. He tells his people that. Because The Messiah promised, he said, when I go away, I will send you another comforter, the Holy Ghost, the Ruach, who will tell you of things to come. He will also tell you all things I have taught you. Yes, that is the work of the Holy Spirit, not only to teach us and to lead us into all truth, but also he will tell us of things to come. I can tell you that my greatest trials in life, I was giving a forewarning. And those are the only his word to me before those hit were the only thing things, the only thing that kept me from persevering and going through it and not committing suicide. So it's good that I don't get warnings lately, okay, but I'm just saying he's so faithful. He knew how hard the battle was going to be. He knew what I needed. I needed to hang on to his word. When we pray our daily bread, our daily bread is manna of words and impartations of his ruach into our spirit. That's what we need in our daily bread, not just our physical food. For man does not live by bread alone, but by the very Amar. I believe it's Amar or Debar of Yah. That's what Yahweh was doing in the days of old. Read the prophets. How many times did Yahweh warn um, his people, kings and nations, about future things to come? Read the book of Acts. There was the time that Agabus, the prophet, came into the midst of the church, and he said by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, there will be a famine in the land, and nobody knew. Everything was fine. The food was still plentiful at the time and Yahweh knew it was coming. The people of Yah were warned by the prophet through the Holy Ghost in the New Testament age. This dispensation that there would be a famine. And so the people of Yah were able to prepare for that and do necessary things. As you read in the book of Acts, the same Holy Spirit warned the Apostle Paul, don't go to Jerusalem because bondage is waiting for you there. Who knew? knew that nobody but the Holy Ghost and Yahweh himself so then we see our living God right in the Bible speaking teaching rebuking and calling to repentance but as well he will tell you of things to come he will warn the people of the future events he always wants to save us and lead us and protect his people and that was the same case in Russia so in 1931 the call of yah came he said my people now remember this is two years before it gets really bad my people get ready to move out there was uh just a few hundred people that were praying and said "Yah, we will go wherever you lead us because then yahweh warned you then it's time to seek his face. If he warns you of future things to come, if he warns you of any danger, that's really the time to fast and to pray and seek the will of him for further instruction. So they were praying and Yahweh said to them, my children, this is the next city you must go to. Being farmers in Russia with horse and buggy, they did not have cars. They did not have trucks. And even now, Russia is still backward in many ways of machinery on the farms. But anyhow, at that time, it was just a horse and a buggy. And there was just one central railroad through Russia. So anyhow, Yahweh told these farmers who never traveled more than 100 kilometers in their lifetime, maybe to the next village on a horse or a buggy, to these farmers, Yahweh said to them, I will move you out to another country. If we are, in fact, being prepared and called to another country into the wilderness, the wilderness of the scriptures, not just the many camps of wilderness, but the wilderness of the scripture, it will be a different country. It will be just like Abraham. Abraham had to go forth, and we may have to go forth. And that was about the size, uh, sorry, that was about the area of Kiev, 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 Kiev. Uh, which is in the central uh, Ukraine and a little bit south. Some groups from there in that area were praying and fasting and heard Yahweh tell them to move to the next city south. You see, they didn't get all instructions all at once, they got a few at a time. The story goes on, but some of the parts that I remember is that um, during that time there were gypsies and and they they purposely did some things that didn't make sense. And when, when they thought that it looked better to go left or to go right, they heard the Lord say, go to a different direction. They took a, I think it was a cow. And so the soldiers didn't stop them because they thought they were just roaming gypsies. Okay. There's all these miracles that happen. And so when we come back in two weeks, we will hopefully... Um, get through most of the rest of the story and all the miracles that they went through and how they were led step by step, not knowing anything, but the next step. Okay. And so um, we'll go through that next time. And I want to thank you all so very much for being here today. I want to wish blessings on you all and uh, a great uh, sense of, introspection as you're going through this month of Elul and the preparations for Sukkot and the new Rashodesh, the Feast of Trumpets, um, will happen and occur before we meet again. So whatever comes our way, remember the king is on the throne. He's orchestrated and allowed everything to happen for our good, for those who are called and love him and serve him. So I will stop sharing the screen now and I'll take all this off. And I just, again, thank you so very much and blessings and may your garments always be white and let your head lack no shimon Shalom.